0: Good to be back. Um, we, my wife and I, and our family were gone on a sabbatical for a handful of weeks, and it's a sacred time that we experience when we do these. We're able to reset. We're able to kind of recalibrate uh, our hearts, and super grateful for it. Also, super grateful for the team that we had. Um, that whether it's the people that were preaching or a lot of the behind-the-scenes behind the stuff that was going on, just appreciate uh, our community and the gifts that our community has. Um, I got, I got two quick plugs, and then um, I'm going to get some youth to come up. The first is uh, Anna Noel Swartz was born last night, and uh, I was supposed to send our slide guy a photo and forgot, so... That's on me. She is cute, as you can imagine. Just think Josh and Tori having a child. That's what she looks like. Okay? (laughs) So, super, super cute. Um, And then the second plug, we'll mention this again at the very end of our gathering. But this Thursday, from 10 to 2, we are serving at Brumby Elementary. And if there's any way that you can recalibrate your schedule, restructure your schedule to be a part of that serve day, we're going to be serving the teachers there. uh, Make it a priority. Uh, again, Mike's going to share that at the very end, but I wanted to just make that shameless plug. Uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm going to be there, and I'm excited about it. Um, so Drew Abercrombie, come on up. Drew Abercrombie is our student director. Come on up. Um, and he's going to be bringing two youth up uh, to share about one camp from a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, last week, not last week, two weeks ago, I came up and shared some uh, of my perspective about what happened at One Camp, what it is, what, it, uh, what it's about, what, how meaningful it is. But I wanted to give you a chance to hear from some of our students who went. So we're having two students come up, uh, Elijah Petoniak and Aidan Augustad. Would you guys come up here, please? You can stand over here. Uh, I asked them to think about two questions. One was uh, a highlight from the week at one camp, and the other one was what was most spiritually meaningful for you. So a highlight from one camp and something spiritually meaningful for you. So what would you say?
2: So a highlight was definitely the games that we played, which were kind of gross, but they were kind of cool at the same time. Um, we paid We played baseball with frozen fish and dodgeball with squid and stuff. And it was very interesting because they had these challenges that you could do where one of them was um, the counselors would dive into baby pools full of, I think it was Kool-Aid and syrup to get their team from last place to first place. That was gross. (laughs) And everyone smelled because no one was taking showers. I don't know. And then... The spiritual part—it was definitely the worship, especially the evening worship. Um, during the evening worship, at the near end, the counselors would go up, and you can go pray with the counselors. And there were so many kids just like running to counselors, crying, and it just—it was just amazing. Um, there were tons of kids that were moved. Uh, it was just crazy. Everyone was there. Were there was a line of people um, for testimonies at uh, Stonebridge, I think, and it was just amazing.
1: Thank you, Aiden. What was the highlight for you, Elijah?
3: Probably morning thing because um, of what Aiden said, but also the food fight where we just got to throw food at each other. That one was pretty cool. And um, it's kind of nasty because like our showers, like nobody showered. So our (laughs) cabins smelled like hot dogs and mustard. So... It wasn't really like, uh. And um, also the other thing that I liked was, it was kind of weird, but like, you want not to prank people, but well, we got pranked twice, okay? Um, the second time was when they put all of our luggage into a pile right before we had to leave. So everyone had to like take out the underwear and socks and everything to sort it. My stuff looked like a mess, it was on my bed, so they didn't touch mine. I was kind of thankful. <laughs> But my favorite thing was probably the church at the very end, because um, you got to go up and pray for people, and then people came up and prayed for me, and then God talked to me. So that was probably my favorite thing about church right there. So yeah, that was it.
1: Thank you. there's many more stories like that and I think many more uh to come in the upcoming years as more people come and experience what uh, what God is doing through one camp mm-hmm. so next year if you want to come it's ready
0: mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah yeah so yeah, just to over-communicate, the week of July 4th, go ahead and mark it off. Go ahead and tell your boss that you're out of town that week and come. I went for like 15 years in a row. I was a camper. I was a counselor at the same camp, and it was significant for me, and uh, I would love to see our community buy in to this together. Whether you're young, old, it doesn't matter. Um, let's do that. That would be something we can look forward to. So July 4th week, um, you can too smell like squid. Awesome. <laughs> So we're in a summer series in Proverbs, Um, if you've been tracking with us over the last uh, few months, several weeks, we've been there, and the question that we've been asking, and the question that the, the wisdom literature asks us is, what is the good life and how do I live it? What is the good life and how do I live it? And so this, this is what the, the wisdom literature asks us. And so the wisdom literature is summarized into three books. We see the book of Proverbs, we see Ecclesiastes, and we see the book of Job. And all these three are addressing this similar question. What kind of world do I live in? How do we live in this world well? And how do we become good at life? And so it hits it from different angles. We see the, uh, this brilliant teacher That we learn from in the book of Proverbs. We have like this skeptical, uh, middle aged critic that speaks to us through the book of Ecclesiastes. And we have this weathered, older individual that talks to us on the latter end of their life as we learn about. Uh, the life of Job. And so we, we hear three different perspectives about life and how we live in this life well. And so we're finishing out Proverbs this week and next week. And this fall, we're actually going to be getting into Ecclesiastes. So we're just fire hydrant of wisdom over the upcoming months. And we're going to be listening to uh, the teacher uh, in Ecclesiastes, but we're not there yet. And so in the Proverbs, we meet this young, brilliant teacher Last several weeks, we've been learning about aspects of wisdom. If you've not been here, I would encourage you to check out those teachings where we learned more about wisdom. We talked about money. We talked about pride. We talked about friendships and community. All of those things that are significant uh, to the life that we live in. I appreciate all four of the perspectives. And I just want to encourage you. Nick shared this last Sunday about community. And what I know about the church is the church can be the most lonely place on earth. Let it not be so here. I would encourage you to, to lean into what he talked about. If you have your few friends that you see every Sunday, I encourage you to reach out to others. Let it not be so that sojourn is known as a lonely place. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? Okay. So that that's what Nick talked about last week and the wisdom that's found. And so we come to the end of Proverbs with these two important chapters to go, and they're they're poetry that we find. You know, the first uh, 29 chapters, we learn a lot from Solomon. And at the very end of the, the Proverbs in 30 and 31, we hear from two different They're these collections of poems. Agar is the first one that we hear from in Proverbs 30, and then Lemuel is the one that we hear from in 31. So we're going to be in Proverbs 30 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs 30, open up your app, whatever you do, do it, because we're going to be in Proverbs 30 this morning. And intros here, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 1, it says, The words of Agar, son of Jacob." The words of Agar, son of Jacob. So we we learned that there's an individual whose name is Agar who is writing to us. It's likely another wise individual in Solomon's day. You know, the point of this uh, proverb as we get into it is very strategic. These aren't just thrown together. This book was strategically written. And at the very end in in, uh, chapter 30, we're learning about what a model reader of Proverbs looks like. Agar is a model reader of what it looks like to read the Proverbs. And so as you read through Proverbs 30, we're not going to read through all of it, but uh, there's some nuances in the way that it's poetically written. But Agar, at the end of the day, is mocking pride. He's mocking greed, and he vindicates integrity and contentment. And we're going to learn about that this morning. Picking up in verse 2, that's what he says. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Just hits the ground running, you know what I'm saying? I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have, I under, nor, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So we have this first section, and this is really the baseline of godly wisdom. The baseline of godly wisdom we find is humility. He's recognizing, I don't have understanding. He says, I haven't learned true wisdom. And he approaches God with this perspective, not with his chest puffed out, but in this posture of humility, he approaches the wisdom of God. He says, I don't, I don't know. He calls himself stupid. I, I wouldn't recommend you calling yourself stupid, but he does that. He says, I don't understand. That's the point. I don't understand, but I do understand that God exists. I don't understand, but I do understand that God exists. See, the world can be confusing But he says, I trust in God to guide me with my life. This is the baseline for wisdom. We learned about this several weeks ago. the, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, recognizing who you are and recognizing who God is, recognizing that you are but a vapor. We're not guaranteed this afternoon, but God is everlasting. We are created. God is the creator. It's the same vein that we find at the end of Job, that other wisdom book. It might pop up here, Job 38. Maybe I'll pull it up real quick. No? Sick. <laughs> um, Job 38, verse 1, it says, that's on me, I probably didn't send it, I'm sure I didn't send it. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and then in verse 4 it says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know or who stretched out the line upon it on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy, the same language that Job uses is what Agar is using here. Remembering that God is the Creator, He's the source of life. He is the He is the where wisdom is found, and we want to let go of our pride and trust Him with our lives. So Agar is the model reader of the Proverbs, and then he has this section right here, which is kind of the anchor, uh, the middle text here. As we continue to read in Proverbs thirty verse seven, it says, "Two things I ask of you, deny them." Not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This text, it reminded me of Aladdin. Aladdin was originally released in 1992. Some of you saw that cartoon, anybody? Yes, good. And then it was recreated in 2019. Will Smith was this swole genie, if you remember, uh, if you watched that. And Aladdin, he falls in love with a princess. And he's given this genie to uh, to guide him with three wishes. And one, there was kind of some rules to the, uh, to these wishes. You couldn't ask for more wishes. That wasn't allowed. So you had three wishes. You know, if you're in Aladdin's shoes, that teaches you a lot about what you desire most. If you have three wishes, if you can ask for anything, three things, what those things would be would prove your deepest desires, your deepest wants, your deepest longings. You can learn a lot about somebody in that moment. And Aladdin, again, he finds a genie. It's a divine-like creature And it's touching, Disney's touching all of these films, these movies touch on these longings that we have that are found in the Bible. And it's touching this longing to have a relationship with the divine. This longing that we see in this this movie. See, the Bible teaches us that we have an all-powerful God who created all things. And he isn't some far-off genie, but an all-merciful creator who wrote himself into our story to reconcile us. And he offers us prayer to relate and to interact with him. So if uh, if you are going to ask God for two things, what are those things going to be? And if you think about it, what are two things that you would ask God for? You learn a lot about somebody in those moments. And Agar, the model reader of the Proverbs, asks God for two things. And we read them, we just read them. The first he asks for is, he says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. This is a cry for integrity. Agar is, is giving this cry for integrity. Let my inner life be the same as my outer life. That what I do when nobody's looking be the same as when I'm in front of many people. One of the books I read when we were away these last several weeks was a, a pastor. He's kind of the model pastor. His name is Eugene Peterson. And I read his latest uh, book, He's Passed Away, but his biography A Burning in My Bones. And then uh, you kind of read the story of his life, and he planted a church in Maryland. He spent 30 years serving there faithfully. And after he finished his time there, he wrote what you might know of as something called The Message. It's the paraphrased version of the Bible. And he said over and over again, as he kind of was thrown into the circuit of speaking publicly in different places because he wrote this book, he said over and over again that he wanted his outward persona to be congruent with his interior persona. He wanted his outer life to be like his inner life. He wanted a life Of integrity, similar to what Agar is saying. See, again, integrity is that my inner life matches my outer life. Let me let who I am behind closed doors be the same as who I am in public. You know, we have the temptation to bifurcate our lives. We have a temptation to kind of have this life over here that maybe a few know. And in this life over here that maybe we present at church or maybe we present on other occasions, we have the temptation to bifurcate, to separate our lives into two. And Agar says, Lord, I pray that I would not be one that lives in this place of falsehood. We see it within the church. We see it outside the church, this willingness to bifurcate our lives. We see it in high-profiled people who fall hard, If you keep up with Christianity Today, they just came out with a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Maybe some of you have come across that. And within that, they talk about the ministry of Mark Driscoll. They talk about the churches that he planted up in the northwest of our country. And they talked about how sometimes people that are thrown into fame, that their abilities aren't on par with their character. And when that happens, it ends up being uh, devastating to that person and other people that they're leading. You know, we listen to stories like that about Mark Driscoll or about Robbie Zacharias. or about, I mean, We can just go on and on and on about people we have heard about over even the last year. It's easy to examine the faults of someone else like a Mark Driscoll. But it's another thing to allow someone else's faults to awaken wisdom within us, to go a different path than maybe they went. You know, Galatians one speaks to that. And one of the letters that Paul writes, um, he says at the very end of that letter, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So in the same way, we can look at someone else's life and say, man, that's crazy that they did that. But we need to allow that to be a mirror and say, man, I could do the same thing. God, let my outer life be the same as my inner life. Keep falsehood. And deceitful words far from me. He prays. You know, Sojourn, we have this thing called Sojourn Connect that's actually coming up this upcoming Sunday. Uh, after our gathering, if you're new or newer to our community, you wanna learn more about who we are, how to get connected, that's next Sunday after our gathering. Child is provided. Let us know if you're interested. But as we go through Sojourn Connect, we talk about our four values, four distinctives. We're gospel centered, we're contemplative, we're authentic. And we're missional. When we talk about authentic, we say this. I'll, I'll read to you what we say. We say, we invite you to come as you are, no matter where you are on your journey of faith. We desire that you would feel safe to come with your questions, your doubts, and your hopes. And together, we can allow the beauty and truth of God's word through God's spirit to change us. However, we don't end with come as you are. Because the gospel offers us more than staying where we are. It invites us to something much more wonderful. We say, come as you are, but don't stay there, because we believe the power of the gospel through the Spirit has the ability to lead us into maturity and transformation. You know, we have a temptation to put our masks up. We have a temptation to live two different lives, and we never will experience change or growth or transformation when we put our masks up. And Agar reminds us through this prayer, through this wisdom-based prayer, to God, would you allow my life to be a life of integrity? The promise of the New Testament is full-on transformation. Change is possible. Or let not my outer life be incongruent with my inner life. You know, this takes an ardent focus. We are naturally going to drift towards living multiple lives. Living these lives, chameleons over here, chameleons over there. But man, it takes a sense of maturity and growth for our life to be consistent because where our identity is found in Jesus. See, Agar, the model reader of the Proverbs, is instructing us how to live. God, let my life be congruent, my inner life be congruent with my outer life. Man, if you find yourself living in a dual life, man, what you live one way here and another way here there. May I humbly plead with you to expose it. I humbly plead with you to expose it. You will be exposed. Better to humbly repent than to be caught, or even worse, to not be caught. That is terrifying to live your life In a bifurcated life, allowing your outer life to be different than your inner life, to to have a secret life that nobody knows about, That's, that's terrifying, the direction that can go. And it's the mercy of God to even invite you in this moment to say, maybe I need to expose that so that I don't go down a path that leads me to destruction. Agar says, remove far from me, God, falsehood and lying. And the second prayer that he prays, he give me neither poverty nor riches. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Oh God, give me neither poverty nor riches is a cry for contentment. He prays for integrity and then he prays for contentment. He doesn't pray for blessing and affluence. He doesn't pray for that specific job promotion. He prays for something deeper, something richer. He prays for contentment. I mean, you can learn, again, a lot about somebody who's offered two things to pray for and prays for integrity and prays for contentment. It's very tempting to pray for things that are circumstantial. It's very tempting to pray for things that are on the surface. It's much more mature to pray for things that are deeper within your soul. And Agar, the model reader of the Proverbs, is teaching us a better way to pray and live. See, his prayer is not primarily about his outer life. His prayer is primarily about his inner life. His prayer is not first for circumstantial blessing. His prayer is for inner blessing. Prayers for his inner life to be content regardless of what arises. He says, God, would you make me content? Contentment is a learned practice. In uh, another letter that Paul wrote in uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, Paul says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then this is where the context of this verse we all heard about, Evander Holyfield taught us about it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I've learned to be content. It is a learned practice to become content. Contentment is a necessary practice in the Christian life. And we live in an age of advertisement. I don't think that we really understand the ramifications of living in an age that has full throttle, throwing in our face, constant advertisement. Check this out. The market research firm, uh, Olovich, estimated in 2007. So we're talking 14 years ago that the average person and the iPhone came out 2007 2008. The average person saw about 5,000 ads a day. The average person saw up to 5,000 ads a day. In 2021, the average person now sees up to 10,000 ads a day. If we go a little further with this, it's doubling from 2007 I mean, 5K is no joke, right? And it's doubled in the last 14 years. It continues. The revenue from Google and the revenue from Facebook online ad marketing is astounding. Google in 2001 brought in $7 billion for their uh, ad marketing. And in 2019 brought in $134 billion. Facebook, Similar percentages, uh, they brought in $2 billion in 2010. And in 2017, seven years later, brought in $40 And we are receiving constant reminders that we don't have enough, that our life isn't good enough, that we need things, that we need to want things, that we need to crave things, that we don't really need, want, or have to have. We are being told what to love. We're being told what to want. We're being told what to to need, right? You guys feel this? There's, there's a, 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 they're, they're so ingrained in our lives that they're using our phones as dopamine hits so that we can need things that we never thought that we needed. And contentment is our hope to keep us grounded, that what we have is what we need, that we don't need what they say that we might need. It reminds us of the great 23rd Psalm in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Do we believe that? that? Because God is our shepherd, because he is the one that's guiding our life, the Bible teaches us that we have everything that we need. It's echoing the words of Jesus in the song or in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that if God cares for the lilies of the valley, how much more will he care for? For you, we have what we need. Give me neither poverty nor riches, Agar says. Contentment is a necessary practice in the Christian life. See, comparison... However, will suffocate any level of contentment that we have. And we experience this. Maybe we don't want to be honest, but let's be honest. That we can feel, whether it's through Instagram or whether it's through social media, whatever it might be, that you can feel that your life may not be what you wanted or expected it to be. That you, you may feel disappointed with aspects of your life. Your life may not look like their life. And you might feel jealous or even greedy that you would want their life that you see on social media. But I man, we gather every Sunday to remember the story of God. We gather every Sunday to remember that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. We gather every Sunday to remember that you have a Father who cares for you. You have a Father who has given you breath in your lungs. You have a Father who has given you so much more than maybe we give Him credit for. And we, when we compare, we begin to think we need what we don't have. And Agar reminds us, this model reader of uh, the Proverbs says, Oh God, give me neither poverty nor riches. And then Agar gives the alternative if this prayer is an answer. and he, This is where he goes on in this text, we already read it. He says, if I have too much, I may deny you and believe that you don't exist. And if we receive the desires of our heart with riches, that in return, we will in return say, I don't really need you for my life because I have all the stuff that I need right in front of me that could be taken in a minute, could be taken in a doctor's call, could be taken quite quickly, but we can begin to believe that we don't need God when we have everything. It's that prayer, it's that statement in Psalm, 30, or Psalm 53 verse 1 that the fool says in their heart, there is no God. They don't say with their words, but they say in their heart. And we can function when we have all the things that we need and want. We can function as a fool and say, I don't need God. And again, Agar's reminding us of this prayer, that it's foolish to do that. And on the other side, if I have too little, I might have to steal and profane his name, it says. If I have nothing, I'll think that I'll need to survive without God. In Agar's prayer... Lord, would you give me integrity? Lord, would you give me contentment? And we enter into the latter part of this year and you're looking for a prayer to pray over your life in these upcoming months. Pray, God, would you give me integrity that my outer life would be the same as my inner life? God, would you give me contentment? With what I have before me. It doesn't mean you can't buy anything. It doesn't mean that, that's not the point, but the point is contentment. That what I have is already uh, what God has given to me in Jesus, what He's supplied to me here and now is everything I need. And finding our hearts contentment. God, would you make me a man or woman of integrity? Would you make me a man or woman of contentment? I would encourage you to pray. I would dare you to pray that prayer over your life in these upcoming months. So as we close, I want to present these two prayers before us. These two prayers that Agar mentions to us, that keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me, or give me neither poverty nor riches. Now as we gather as a community with all different stages of life and different seasons of life and different situations that we might be dealing with, I don't know which of these prayers might stick out to you, but I would encourage you, as we enter into a time of confession, maybe your outer life is not the same as your inner life. Maybe you find yourself living a secret life that nobody knows about. And again, will always lead to devastation. And you have a moment right now where you can turn your heart and you can, you can about face and you can turn and you can surrender your heart and life to Jesus. And if that's you, man, I I challenge you, I've, I've sat with too many people that didn't do that in these moments and their life was, was devastating in return and the pain of that is so much more severe and there's an opportunity to turn and the kindness of God even in this moment to do that I would invite you to do that if that's you, man. If you find your heart just longing to have the things you don't have right now, maybe God would just remind you that Jesus is enough. And to ask him to stir your affections for him. that You don't need the things that are going to go outdated in just a year from now. But you can find yourself content. And God, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I don't know what it looks like for you. But as we enter into this time of confession, I invite you. By the kindness of God who leads us to repentance, not as guilt, not the shame uh, that we might feel, but in his kindness to, to gently draw our hearts back to him and turn to him. And so as we enter into this time of confession over this next minute, as, as Trevor comes up, I, I want to invite you into this space. So let's do that together in the quietness of this room. Let's turn our hearts to Jesus.